Good to see everybody. Good morning. A couple of things I want to share with you before we get get moving here. We're actually going to be taking our offering right now. And uh, so if you are new, we're actually so glad you're here. Uh, But the the offering piece is just kind of for our church to worship God through our finances. And one of the interesting things that is, I don't know if you... You probably don't keep track of these things like I do, but a year ago, actually, uh, right now is when we decided to take a huge risk and, and, and get some new space. And so we were meeting next door and we kind of came to you as a church and said, hey, we need to start making room for more people. Um, and this has been a year now that we've lived into this new uh, uh rent schedule, really, and uh, you guys have just been so faithful and so good and so generous, and I just wanted to say thank you. The leadership team wants to say thank you, and it's just been just a wild year, so I uh, really appreciate that. A couple other things I want to share with you. Easter is coming. Um, good Friday is coming as well. We are partnering with Neighborhood Friends Church to do a Good Friday service, and then Easter Sunday, we have two services, and we have um, some invitation cards for you. Um, if you would like to take one with you. And if there's some family or friends that you think would be interested in coming to Easter Sunday, we would love to have them here um, at either service, kids at both services, just a lot happening. So just want to let you know about that. Also, we are full speed into our new toddler room. And uh, the crew tells me they would still love some more help uh, to be a part of that team or just the children's team in general. Um, As I said a couple weeks ago, uh, when Jessica and Janelle were gone, we kind of, I just told you just how excited I was and how proud of them I am, and uh, they're doing a great job. So if you would love to get involved in a really, really high-functioning, well-organized, super-cared-for team of people, uh, the children's team is a really good team to jump into. The roadie team, though, I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm just kidding. No, the roadie team, they, they set up and tear down this place. And we are actually looking for another uh, member or two to jump on the team, especially someone who would love to learn how to drive a six-speed international box truck. (laughs) Like, I mean, if that's been one of the things in your life that you go, oh, man, I would love that thrill like once a month. (laughs) If that's something that's on a bucket list for you... um, we love, we love our, our special box truck. It's parked. You can go check it out if you would like to go sit in it, you know, play with the buttons and whatever just to get a feel. Uh, you're more than welcome to do that. So we would love to talk to you a little bit um, about that. And last but not least, okay, so a couple of weeks ago, I announced to you that we were, and you guys all thought it was an April Fool's joke, but we are um, we're doing something really cool, really special Kimberly Hernandez has been with us doing so much behind the scenes, not only administratively, but she is so pastoral in in who she is and her love for this church and for you and everybody that knows her. Um, She just threw a killer uh, birthday party for for Gabe uh, this week, Um, just tons of cool stuff. She is just the best. And, And so we have decided, just with some conversations with her, this would be a perfect time to do this to send Kimberly on a sabbatical. And a sabbatical is really a time of rest and reflection and um, hashtag blessed. That's hilarious. I was like, wow, that's part of the announcement. Uh, 
It is. She's blessed, right? Right? Um, so, <laughs> like you guys wanted to see that video again, right? Yeah, yeah, the beard. So, um, so we are going to be sending Kimberly on an eight-week time of, of solitude, reflection, and taking the weight of what she does around here off of her um, so that she can hear from the Lord and um, just rejuvenate. And, um, and so many of you have said, I want to help, and it's taken like this huge team to do everything that Kimberly does. Because what we've found is that Kimberly does all these secret things that she doesn't tell anybody about, and they're really great ideas, but no one knew she did them. Um, but now more people are doing them. And so leadership team is met. We are so excited for this. And so where is Kimberly at? Where, where is she? she not here right now? Well, who planned this? <laughs> See, I can't even plan Kimberly's going away like thing without Kimberly. Hey, you can pray for me the next eight weeks is what you can do. No. Um, so when Kimberly gets back in here, how about this? We'll pray for her at the end of the service. Deal? Shh, don't tell her anything. All right, so. Um, if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 7, we are marching through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're calling this whole series Upside Down Kingdom because Jesus comes announcing a different way to live. And if you are just joining us, um, it tends to be pretty different, uh, pretty different than how our world works. And I don't know um, kind of what you're sitting here with in your own life, how you got here, um, what a Sunday morning church gathering means or doesn't mean to you. Um, our goal around here at Restoration isn't to convince you to come to church every Sunday. That's not, that's not our thing. Um, and we're, we're actually not even into church brand loyalty. So um, we just want you to be part of the family of God and the people of God somewhere. And the reality is that it is a hard thing sometimes to come on a Sunday morning. Um, a lot of times in, in church circles, we try to make it easy and nice and convenient and have, uh, make it like, um, you know, really uh, meaningful and all of those things. But the reality is we walk into a place like this with things in our lives, hurts and wounds and frustrations, uh, whether they be towards God or others. Um, some, some people don't like singing so you don't have to raise your hand, but we know who you are because you're not singing. Um, it's hard to do that stuff. It feels, maybe if you're a guy, it doesn't feel very manly. Um, some of you show up here and you just, uh, being social is difficult, uh, especially like the, the surfacey stuff and you feel like you got to be all smiley faced. Some of you have feelings about God and the church and the community and whether it's this one or another one that have been hard for you. The reality is, is the, the point of gathering on a Sunday like this is, is we're, we're gathering to be moved and, and for God to move the needle a little bit in our lives. And sometimes that comes through relationships with each other. Sometimes it comes through the things that are said or spoken and sometimes we're just, we just need to understand we're trying to wrestle the me out of us a little bit. And that can be really challenging and it can be really hard and convicting. 
And so the words of Jesus, if we're honest, they're, they're, they rub against us. They rub against who we want to be, um, the natural, uh, comfortable motions of our lives. They rub against that in us. And, and it's much easier to take the words of Jesus and just kind of ref- deflect them towards other people. And so today we're going to be jumping into a passage that I think is one of those ones that is, is it can be really, really hard. Last week, Dan uh, opened this whole can of worms talking about worry and money. And, and he did like this really good job of like illustrating that with chairs last week. And we talked about money and the fact that Jesus, the only idol Jesus mentions by name is mammon. And he used that last week. We talked about this idea that it's not just money. It's not just wanting. It's this this idea that in us there's this desire for more, to acquire more and to have more. And Jesus actually names that as a rival God. And he says that you can't do both. And I don't care where you are in the whole Jesus thing, but, I mean, you could not even believe a word of Jesus but, but actually agree with the idea that acquiring more money will never be something that will satisfy you. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. And Jesus says that you actually can't serve God and the God of wanting more at the same time. You can't do both. And then he jumps into something today that a lot of times for us, we feel is totally separated from what Jesus said um, about money. But it's not. And we'll get into that here in a second. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we've come to understand the last number of weeks that we have a role to play in this big story that you are telling. That the story of Jesus in us is lived out in our story and wrestling with the implications of what you say and what you have said and what it means for us to live it out is a very um, humbling journey, one that we can't do alone. And so God, through your spirit, will you challenge us? Will you move the needle in our lives this morning when it comes to others and trusting others to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And uh, I just saw Kimmy and she left again. So I don't even, I don't even have a handle on her. Gabe, do you? Okay. They didn't think so. I was like, man, let's do it now. Oh, never mind. Okay. So Matthew chapter seven, verse one, if you have a Bible or we're going to do the screen thing. Okay. It goes like this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now there's a classic interpretation 
of this passage by people inside the church and people outside the church. And you probably hear it all the time. Hey, don't judge. Don't, don't judge. You can't judge me, you know. And we have these, I mean, right? I mean, that we don't like that. We don't like that when we're judged. We don't like that when people write us off. There's something more happening here that Jesus is talking about than just what you perceive maybe he's talking about. See, there's a flow to this passage, and the, the, there's the specks and the planks, and there's the pigs and the dogs and the pearls, and there's this, how does this all weave together, and, and how is it all connected? Does it connect to the, the, the week before here that we talked about money? Does, it, does this all have a flow, and does this all fit together? And I'm here to tell you, yes, it does. It does. And, and the tricky part about your Bible and mine is, Somewhere along the line, someone put numbers in front of every sentence and, and split things up with chapters and numbers. And, and, and some Bibles even go even further, and there's a little phrase that tells you exactly what you're about to read. And so you know what the point of the whole thing is. But Jesus didn't stop and give us chapter titles. He just, this was one big flow. Kimmy, stay where you are. Don't go anywhere. We're going to pray for you later. Seriously. Man. All right. So um, here's the word. The word judge. It says, do not judge. And, you know, obviously we have an understanding of what that means in our modern day language. But in Greek, it means a bunch of different things. And so we're going to try to get to the bottom of really what it means here. Um, there's one version of the word judge. It's actually this word krino uh, that we get in Greek. And it's used a bunch of different times, but in Titus 3.12, we're going to throw this on the screen at some point. There it is. As soon as I send Artemis or that guy to you, do your best to come to meet me at that place because I have decided to winter there. And actually, the word krino is decided. The word krino is actually right there. So, so do you think that Jesus is saying, um, do not decide about people or come to a decision about people? Do you think that's what he's saying? See, I don't. Um, next, next version of this is actually in John uh, chapter 18, verses 30 through 31. It goes like this. If he were not a criminal, this is during the whole Pontius Pilate scene. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Okay, verse 31, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. And so there's this idea that uh, the word here, krino, actually means to to judge someone by in, in a court of law. That there's some sort of a measure to which uh, judgment can happen. Do you think Jesus is talking about that here? I mean, do you think Jesus is saying, do not judge people in a court of law? Anybody? No? Shaking heads? Cool. No. Yes? Maybe? Maybe? No? Okay. There's another version of Crino that we find, and when we do linguistic studies, we meaning smart people, um, when, when linguistic, linguistic studies are done, what they do is they take the Greek words, not just 
Testament, but of all of Greek literature that we found, and they find the meanings that we can, we can attach the meanings of certain words in the New Testament based on how that word was used in another context. Does that make sense? Whether it's a writing of Josephus or whatever, we find different, that's how we do ling- linguistics. Like I said, smart people do linguistics. The, the third version of this is, I think, what Jesus is really getting at. I think there's a mixture of other things in there, but listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul kind of spells it out. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. And this is what Paul's definition of judge is. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The idea behind this version of the word crino is getting the heart and the motives of someone's nature. That actually by judging people, okay, what Jesus is saying by judging people, what you are doing is you're not talking about whether their actions are right or wrong. You're actually doing something that gets at the core of their identity and their essence as a human being. And Jesus says, don't do that. Do not judge. See, what it's really doing is it's getting at the backstory and the intentions and the real heart of somebody. And based on their behavior, either writing them off or pushing them out. This word really actually means to bring about, bring to light the true motives of somebody. And this is something that God does. It's the idea of exposing the darkness in people's hearts. Like, I really don't want to be a part of that. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I really don't want that job. But it seems to be that I tend to slip into wanting that job sometimes. I mean, he's talking about a way in which we evaluate, critique, and draw conclusions about people. Like at a real soulful level. Based on some behavior. I mean, to to judge somebody in this regard is actually to raise yourself up by lowering them, right? It's it's to make a conclusion about someone by by lowering them and making a decision about the motives of their heart and just to, to display all we've done, okay, and all they haven't done. And when we judge, we confuse action Okay? We, cho- we confuse an action with someone's essence and their identity. That's what Jesus is getting at here. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't like correct our children. It doesn't mean actually even in, in certain circumstances that we should show up and go, hey, man, I think this thing in your life might, might be really destructive one day. I mean, he's not even, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in his little illustration, but We make declarative statements about people. And sometimes it's not even out loud. It's in our hearts. And we write them off. And we we write off their identity and their worth as a person. 
We see that this person at their core is less than or wrong or unredeemable. Yesterday we were driving home and it was kind of a stressful drive home from an event we were at and uh, there was a big accident and things like that. But before the accident, um, before the slowdown, um, my wife, Angela, declared that I was a tailgater. You are, I don't know about if you're married, I don't know how driving goes for you as a couple. It might be peaceful. I mean, it's somewhat peaceful for us, but there are days. And and it goes both ways, right? She hates this part. Um, She's like, you are a tailgater. I'm like, man, that's like, right to the core and essence of my being. No, I am tailgating at the moment. And really, they just needed to speed up. I mean, then it wouldn't have been an issue, right? I mean, their, their deal, right? Now, if you think about, like, when you go on a ride at Disneyland, and you know there's the, the character with the deal here with the, you know, and, and you got you to gotta, you gotta size up, and some of you who are grown adults can't even do it, you know? You can't go on certain rides, right, Mary? And <laughs> like, like <laughs> the, the idea is like you're, you're going around in your life and everyone you come into contact with, you're like, yeah, you're in, you're good. Or, you know, and you're doing this to everybody. Can you, can you measure up, right? And maybe your standard of measurement changes based on people. You ever thought of that? Maybe you give people more grace based on their economic standing or their race or if they like the same things as you or maybe vote similar to you or maybe if they drive like you drive. Or, or, or maybe there's just different standards for you and, you, and you and you walk around and you just see you're always measuring people up to a certain standard. Maybe this has actually happened to you on the other side. Maybe I can appeal to the, to the other side of this. Maybe at some point in your life, you have been on the receiving end of somebody's judgment in this way. I mean, like, like literally somebody has, based on a behavior or a mistake that you made in your life. Maybe it's a mistake that you go, I wish I could go back and do that day over. I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done that. But maybe it's just something you regret. You live with this shame in your life, and, and you think to yourself, man, if I could go back and redo that, there's just, there's just no going back, right? I mean, we know what this is like. You deal with shame and all that kind of stuff, but somebody, in your life, whether it was a parent or a friend or a spouse or whatever, judged you in a way that it still hurts. Like it still has a scar on you. That at at a real deep, soulful level, they drew conclusions about your identity as a human being. And you you haven't been able to escape that script for years. See, here's what this whole judging thing is. It's assuming divine responsibility for evaluating the worth of somebody else. 
I mean, who's got time for that? And yet we make a lot of time for it. Basically, it's doing God's job. And it's actually doing job, God's job really horribly. <laughs> because we think that, that God's like this God that's like cruising around waiting for everybody to screw up and, and making mental notes. And, and, and that's not the God of the Bible. And yet we assume some sort of a posture as, it is at, as if it is. It's just like a really ugly way to live. And Jesus uses a hilarious illustration to bring this about. He actually says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your other brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I brought a plank up here. I mean, this is like a bit of theater that Jesus does. I mean, he literally is tell, telling something that's probably they laughed at at the, at the time. But this idea of like, <laughs> walk, I mean, how ridiculous this is, like walking around and just being like, you know, Eric, um, some of us have been talking, you know, and I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but, you know, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. And, and I'm sure, I mean, I don't think we give Jesus enough credit for being really funny. But that had to be funny. Like sawdust and a board sticking out of your eye. And he talks about this idea of removing the board. Like there's got to be some soulful, introspective work and, and some, some really open and honest uh, seeking and searching of God in our lives so that we could be at a place where we could actually help somebody. And there's just a humility to that, right? I mean, ultimately, if, if you're going to go around trying to figure out what's wrong with everybody, I mean, can we just be honest how miserable that would be? And Jesus actually talks, we'll talk about this later on, of how it comes back to us. But this type of crino, this type of judging is about control. It's really what this is about. This is about controlling people. And Jesus is actually using this as a way to talk about the religious culture of the day as well. This is all about controlling people, trying to get people to do something or be something to better serve our own purposes. This is about uh, the Pharisees wanting everybody to stay in line. And we talked about this a number of weeks back because there is actually this prophecy, this idea, this teaching that says, um, that if, if only the people of Israel for one day followed all the laws for one day that God would show up and rescue them and give them their land back. There was this kind of sideways teaching that said that. And so the Pharisees were really good at pointing out the ways in which people weren't measuring up. But this is all part of a larger story. This teaching that Jesus is giving is, is all about control the last number of weeks. And, and control and worry and anxiety. We even go back all the way to the Lord's Prayer and we briefly talked about the Lord's Prayer. But this idea of, of, of putting yourself back into a place where God's will is what you seek. God's will being done, not ours. And the core of that prayer is teaching us to entrust our full selves to God. 
That's what that all is all about. It's not just liturgy. It's actually a way of, of laying our full self out and saying, God, do what you will. Your will be done. And so when you keep going, we talk about actually worry and anxiety and money and, and how God shows up and, and takes care of his people. It's actually this deep breath perspective on life. This idea that a grounded person is like a, like a fully alive, authentic, Jesus-trusting person is actually someone who's planted, the psalmist says, by, by streams of living water. Strong, unmovable, at peace with what God is doing. Even if the world around it or her is a storm. So there's really two tra trajectories here that Jesus talks about. And there's two different kinds of people we can be. The first is we can actually continue to live our lives in such a way as to be deeply anxious, ungrounded, and unsettled in a lot of areas of our lives, finances, people, relationships, what God's doing and not doing in the world. Or we can be people who live with a simple trust that they will be okay based on the promises of God. And so last week when we talk about treasures and worry, if you worry, you're not really fully entrusting yourself to God. And this week we're talking about not fully entrusting other people to God. That in some way in our economy, we feel like we have to control and step in and, and make people behave how they're supposed to behave in our mind. And make people do what we think God wants them to do right now in this moment. And really, when you, when you look at it, what God is saying is entrust yourself to God in, in the midst of wanting to be plagued by worry and desire, trust yourself to God and, and to trust others to God. And, and that comes from those times when we really want to control people. We really want people to do what we're going to do, we want them to do. And sometimes that's to benefit us, but you know, we might actually think it's also to benefit them too, right? I mean, think about this, this passage here, pearls to pigs. <laughs> was that really a problem back in the day? Was it like people are throwing too many pearls to pigs? Jesus had to step in, right, and deal with the situation. I mean, it's like a gateway drug, and uh, Jesus had to step in. It was, but like, this is like an idiom, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. I've heard a number of people use this in, in, in out of context. The, the idea that, well, this is this, here's what this means. This means that you're not supposed to share the gospel with people who are not ready to hear it. That's not what this means. That's a, that's a way of reading Paul and his writings into what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is this is a phrase common in his time. Don't try to control people even with good things. 
See, there's this negative way to control people and judge them and, and try to get them to feel bad about themselves and shame them and, and try to do the, the negative control. And then there's the, we're just going to lavish all these good things that have still got control involved. This idea that we can still steer people to do what we want them to do. And pearls are good things, right? Pig doesn't know what to do with a pearl. I mean, I think sometimes, actually, I mean, if you look back, I mean, I was a youth pastor for many years. I, I watched different family systems at work in the youth ministry crowd. Uh, some families, they had kids, uh, their parents, uh, the kids didn't have parents that believed anything. And they just like, oh, you're going to a youth group? Fine. I mean, it was, as long as you... <laughs> Come home when I tell you to come home. I re they really didn't care. And other parents that were very, very uh, just jamming, jamming Christian thought and principles and rules and all these things in, in, in their kids. And I can tell you, and we can almost predict what would happen. Predict that uh, once college came, man, I don't have anything to do with this anymore. If it became about that, the exit door was huge. But Jesus talks about this new way of living that involves so much love and compassion and, and, and pursuit of people. And this idea that in some of our family systems, we shower love on people to try to get them to do things, or we shower shame on people to get them to do things. Entrusting ourselves to God and entrusting others to God is really what Jesus is getting at. Or you can live with profound anxiety. And who doesn't love that? Right? I mean, I can tell you as a parent of teenagers, anxiety is real. <laughs> And you're like, well, wait, I thought it went away when they were not little kids anymore. It's just super different anxiety. But how do you do it right? right? I mean, Jesus is giving us this, this really uh, beautiful teaching on, on letting people go and entrusting people to Jesus and trusting people to the Spirit. And the only way we can help people, the only way we can really help people is leaning further into the love of Jesus in our own lives. And, and you can become the kind of person who can help. Jesus actually says this. First, remove the plank out of your own eye. Like, like Jesus says, there's something about you that is tweaked and broken enough, and you don't even know it yet. And if we searched down, if we leaned in on that, if we examined the deepest motives of our own hearts, and if we live in a, and if we begin to start living in ways that are non-anxious and, and, and have compassion, and, and that kind of stuff will start to bubble up to the surface. Many of you have been involved in something we've been doing called faith walking. It's just this long journey. Um, it starts with a kind of a weekend retreat, and then there's just a lot that kind of comes after that. And a number of us have been down this journey, and I think one of the main things that has been so beautiful about faith walking is what it does is it shows you through reflection and through good question asking and through the spirit and through some solitude time, kind of some places in your life that are sideways. 
places in our lives that we didn't realize we were living out of, and we're living out of them in such a way that it's actually hurting us and it's hurting other people. And what I've found on the back end of doing some of this work is there's so much more about me that I still don't know. That I still don't know how I come across and how I act towards other people in different situations. There's so much more about me that is unknown to me. And yet at the same time, what that does is gives me a huge amount of compassion for other people. Because every single one of us, if you are a living, breathing human being, has wounds and, and, and has made some decisions in their life, some of them uh, consciously, some of them unconsciously, to do things and live in certain ways in order to be... That was a pretty good scream, whatever that was. What was that? I totally am like a dog. I'm like a, what? Um, and, and to live in certain ways that get us really off track, off of how God wants us to live. And so this idea of search, God, search me. Show me my blind spots. Where do I have a plank? Give me compassion for others. You've not given me other people to control. Search me, know me, root this out in me. I humbly surrender all of this to you. Because what this means is we're bringing that tension to the cross. We're bringing the tension of the things that we want to control and have and seek and, and acquire and use to the cross. We're bringing our planks to the cross. Because Jesus says, when you do this judging thing, like this is the closest to karma that Jesus gets. And I'm don't send me emails like, oh, you talked about karma in church. But really, I mean, this whole idea that, that, like, if you judge people in this way, if you start going up to everybody and pretend like this is a measuring stick and going up to everybody and seeing if, you know, oh, you got work to do, you know, something's, something's busted in you too, you know, if that's the way you live... Jesus says, that's how I'm going to treat you. That's how this is going to look later. And it may not be this huge meta thing where it happens, you know, it might just be your life starts to become so ugly because of this. So angry, so frustrated. And everywhere you look, nobody measures up. that becomes pretty miserable. That becomes pretty hellish, if you ask me. Cross tells us that no one measures up. And yet because of the cross, Jesus takes away the measuring stick. Isn't that beautiful? Because of the cross, I mean, we learn in Romans that, that, that no one measures up, that all of sin, that everybody falls short, that actually if you were to expose the motives and the darkness in all of our hearts right now, like above our heads in some cool little technological gizmo way, that would be terrifying. And none of us measure up. None of us. 
And that love of Jesus that comes in the form of the cross actually penetrates our lives in such a way that our love compels us towards people. Not to write them off. See, God has this way of loving you right now. Like this way that human beings can't really operate outside of Jesus' love. Like God loves the present version of you, not just the future version of you. And it seems to me that if that's the case, then we should start loving the present version of people in our lives and not the future version of them. Like one day when they get this all together, man, then that's, then we can really have a relationship, right? <laughs> like he doesn't, God doesn't want us to stay where we are. He's always propelling us forward, always moving us, always pulling us, always, always confronting us and convicting us and healing us all the way down the road. Well, shouldn't we be like that for other people? And so this morning, if, if you really want to know what it's like to love and have compassion on other people and not to judge them, you have to bring yourself to the cross. You have to, like all of you. All, the, the whole version of you, the one, the parts of you that you don't want anybody to know about, those are the things that once you see the grace and forgiveness poured out on you, once you experience that, that is like a whole new reality and a whole new lens to see everybody and anybody in your life. So we're going to come to the table. I'm going to pray and we're going to come to the table. Because the communion table really is that. It's where we lay our planks down. It's where God meets us on earth, body broken, blood spilled for us, for all of us, for the complete you. Even the part of you that you don't even know exists yet. Jesus died for that. And because of that, we actually then, because of the table here, because of the communion table, we get to come, partake of the body and the blood as a way of saying, okay, now I choose to see people differently. I choose to chuck the measuring stick. I choose to surrender them and entrust them to God. I choose to live in a non-anxious way and not control. And wouldn't it be beautiful if a community did that? See, you know, in, in Scripture, it doesn't say they will know we are Christians because of our rule following. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It doesn't say we, they will know we are Christians because we, you know, don't do this and don't do that. It says we, we, they will know we are Christ followers, Christians, because of our what? Anybody? Because of our love. And that love only is generated in us because of what God has done. It's not something we manufacture on our own. 